Well, it's great to be with you guys this weekend for a couple of reasons. First of all, the doctor told me I don't have cancer, so thank you for all of your prayers. I really do appreciate that. And I know, oh, I know, sit down, it's not that big a deal. I, I told her I could slip in the shower tomorrow and break my neck, but you know, right now I don't have cancer, so that's good. And, and then I got up very early this morning, and I was actually watching a rerun of a basketball game, and I thought, you know what, this is the day, this weekend is the 25th anniversary of the first service that we held at Hope Community Church. It was at Brampton Moore Apartments on Chatham Street in Cary. There were 10 adults there, counting me and Laura, and 12 children. But that's how we started, and to think that what God has done now over 25 years is kinda cool, you know? And, and uh, in fact, I have declared this the year of Juba. And, uh, and I told Laura that, and she said, like, is that a, a Hebrew word for something? I said, no, but if you read the Old Testament, the Jews every 50 years celebrated Jubilee. There will be no Lee in 50 years. Okay, so we're just gonna celebrate Juba. We're just gonna do Juba this year, and we're kicking off the year of Juba uh, in a brand new series that we're calling Seven, and it's based on the seven deadly sins. And I know what you're thinking, Mike, it's a new year, nothing sounds Juba about seven deadly sins, right? That doesn't sound very exciting, very encouraging, but actually it is, because what we're gonna see in this series is that each one of these sins has its root in something that God has given us, something good that God has given us for our enjoyment. James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. So God gives us incredible gifts to enjoy, but when we abuse these good gifts, in other words, when we operate outside the boundaries of how God intended for us to enjoy these good gifts, instead of providing us with joy, these things become stumbling blocks, which actually can impact negatively our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By the way, let me just say this. Even though they're called the seven deadly sins, there's really nothing extra sinister about these sins that we're gonna be looking at over the next few weeks. In fact, someone asked me, where did you come up with the seven deadly sins? It's not even in the Bible. Actually, it's, it's from the Catholic Church. I think they did it to scare you to our church, to be honest with you, but it, it, it sounds very sinister. But let me tell you something. All sins lead to death, okay? All sins lead to death. Doesn't matter what the sin is, but I think a better name would be the top seven bad sins. See, because these are sins that we deal with every day of our lives. These are things we battle every day, and if we don't deal with them, they're gonna impact how we live our life as Christians. Think of it this way. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come that you might have life, the New American Standard, and have it abundantly. In other words, Jesus says, I came to this earth, I'm gonna live a perfect life, die on a cross, three days later be raised from the dead, and I'm doing it so that you can experience the life that deep down inside you really want. Because it's a life of peace, it's a life of joy, it's a life of contentment, it's a life with meaning and purpose. This is why I've come. This is the life I offer to you. But then Paul writes a letter to the Christians at Rome, and this is what he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and we've used it a lot as a salvation verse. It really wasn't ever meant to be used that way. Paul said the wages of sin is death. Well, he's writing to Christians. They already know that, but what is he really saying? He's simply saying this. The wages of sin in the life of a Christian is a death-like existence, as if you don't even have a relationship with the Savior. And as you think about this series we're going through, when we abuse the things that God gave us to enjoy, we operate outside the boundaries, we decide that we're gonna color outside the lines, we basically enter into a death-like existence. Even though we're Christians, we don't have peace, we don't have joy, we don't sense that purpose and meaning and balance, we don't have that contentment in our life because we took something good that God gave us and we ruined it. We took it to the extreme, which just reminds us, even though God gives us good things, sometimes too much of a good thing can be harmful. I'll give you an example. Peppermint bark. 
That stuff's good. But too much of it, but you know, by New Year's, you can't see your feet. You know what I'm talking about? See, a good thing can become a bad thing. Let me give you a real one, sex. God created sex for our enjoyment. I mean, think about that. There was a time in eternity past where God was sitting in heaven's like, man, I have gotten the coolest idea. And he came up with the idea of sex. But here's the thing. He gave us boundaries, and it was to be practiced within these boundaries. And when we go outside of those boundaries, well, sex can cause pain and hurt and confusion. In fact, you know what? There would be no STDs in the world if mankind had practiced sex the way God designed it to be practiced between a man and a woman in a committed marriage relationship. But when we go outside the boundaries, it brings problems, nice things. Nothing wrong with a nice house. Nothing wrong with wanting to drive a nice car and wear nice clothes, right? But if you take it to extremes, it can be harmful. And so the question that we're going to unpack in this series is this. How do I keep the good desires that God has given me? How do I keep them from becoming a stumbling block in my life so that I can experience the life that Jesus made possible for me to live? In other words, how do we find the right balance so we're not going to extremes? I'll never forget years ago, Chuck Swindoll, maybe many of you have heard him. He's on the radio a lot, Insight for Living. And I was at a ministerium where I got to sit down and talk with him. And, and, he, and I was a young pastor at the time, and I'll never, I just cherish that time so much. But he says, Mike, at the end of the day, the Christian life is all about balance. It's all about balance. You go to an extreme in any area, you can start a cult, you can get in all kinds of trouble. So you got to figure out what that balance is. That's what we're going to do in this series. So I think it's going to be a very, very helpful series. And we're going to begin by talking about a sin that for some reason uh, we rarely talk about in church. Uh, and it's the sin of greed. In fact, let me just give you a definition. It's a relentless desire for more. Just a relentless desire for more, or if you're a big fan of Dr. Seuss, greed is the desire to acquire that goes haywire. That's good Dr. Seuss stuff, unless you, Jesse Jackson could go either way, right? But no matter what you have in life, it's never enough. No matter what you have, it's like there's an itch that you can't scratch. You're never quite satisfied. That's greed. Now, let me just clarify it by saying this. There's nothing wrong with wanting stuff and having stuff. I'm working on a series in the fall on the life of Joseph, and I got into this idea of prosperity, and we kind of stay away on prosperity because it's been ruined by the prosperity gospel. But do you know how many verses there are in the Bible where God talks about, I want to bless you. If you obey me, I will prosper you. If you obey me. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean wealth. It could mean your health. It could mean your family. There's all kinds of things, right? But God, God doesn't say there's anything wrong with these things. And God doesn't even say it's wrong to be wealthy. You don't need to, if you're wealthy, God has blessed you. You don't need to feel guilty about that. Solomon was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea you know, was wealthy. David was wealthy. I mean, if God didn't want you to have the stuff, he wouldn't give the stuff to you. The problem isn't that we own stuff. The problem is when stuff owns us, see. And when we get there and it becomes the focus, the driving force of our life, we cross over the line to greed, and according to the Bible, there's only one thing that can actually break the grip of greed in our life. There's really only one thing that can slow down that constant passion, that constant desire to get more. And you know what it is? It's plan, strategic generosity. In other words, we have to get to the point in our life as Christians that we have to intentionally build generosity into our lives. It keeps our lives from it being all about me. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, wow, I wish I had not made this New Year's resolution to come to church because this is what you're thinking. You're thinking that guy up there on the stool over the next few minutes is gonna try to separate me from my money and it's freaking you out a little bit, but that's not what this is about. I mean, when we talk about generosity, that shouldn't scare you, that shouldn't make you nervous because as we're gonna see this weekend, it is crazy. It is ridiculous what God allows us to be a part of when we choose to be generous. 
And so over the next few minutes, I'm gonna take just my best shot, okay? It's showing you why you will actually be happier in life by living a life of generosity than you will be by living a life of greed. And I believe that what I'm getting ready to share with you over the next few minutes, not only has the potential to start a movement in our church, I believe it has the potential to start a movement in our community. And if you're new for the first time, maybe you came to our Christmas Eve service and you thought you would check the church out, good weekend to be here because you're gonna hear over the next few minutes why we exist, why we believe God has created us the way we are, what we believe that God has called us to be and to do. So you're gonna walk out of here at least knowing what you might be getting to be a part of. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. If you don't, that's okay. We're gonna put the verses on the screen. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you know that Matthew chapter 21 talks about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It is without, one of, without a doubt one of the biggest days in the history of the world. Let me just pick it up, Matthew chapter 21, verse one. As they approached, and that would be Jesus and his disciples, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, we're not, they're not named, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. So Jesus picks out two disciples and says, I want you to go to town, find a guy, he's got a big donkey, he's got a little donkey, untie the donkeys and bring them to me. It's pretty simple, not complicated. Verse three, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Now notice this, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughters of Zion, see your king comes to you, and that's talking about the city of Jerusalem, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that's different than the Easter pageants we've seen. Jesus came on a donkey, but it was actually two donkeys, right? The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Notice that phrase, I'll come back to it. And they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I want to just give you four reasons from this story why generosity is such an irrational thing. It just really, on the surface, it doesn't make sense. Here's the first one. When it comes to generosity, think about this. God asked us for something. Now, that's reversing the table, isn't it? Because typically, it's about us asking God for something. I just went through a period of time. God, give me help. God, help my children. God, help my marriage. Maybe it's God, help my finances. God, I need a job. But we find ourselves asking God for things, but when it comes to generosity, God asks us for something, and that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would need to ask his disciples to go into a village and find a guy that's got a couple of donkeys. I mean, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers, and a big donkey and a little donkey would appear. And he could have looked at his eyes and said, yeah, try to do that. I mean, check that out, right? I mean, it would have been very, very impressive. Why can't he do that? Because he's God. Not only is he God, he's the creator. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The son, and that's a reference to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him, which simply means this, 
God can make anything he wants whenever he wants it. He can make anything he needs, Jesus can, whenever he needs it. We see that in the story of the 5,000. Sure, a little boy came forward with five loaves, really biscuits is the word in the Greek, and, and a couple of pieces of fish. But Jesus, in the story, it says he fed 5,000 men. 5,000 men. That's not even counting women and children. So we're talking maybe 10, 12,000 people. Why was able, Jesus able to do that? And there were leftovers, by the way. Why? Because he can create whatever he needs whenever he needs it. Well, let me ask you a question. If he needed a couple of donkeys, why didn't he just create them? Why did he ask some guy to give up his donkeys? Why am I making a point of this? Well, let me tell you something. At Hope, we have a big, big vision for 2019. For example, we wanna launch a new campus in Garner. And we don't launch a campus just so it's closer to people's homes so they don't have to drive as far to go to church. We launch a campus because we realize now we have a history that says when we launch a campus, it's gonna have a shaping influence on a community. We wanna make sure that every man, woman, and child in that community has multiple opportunities to see, to hear, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that their lives can be changed. We wanna know what are the unique needs in that community that we can come alongside of and just, we make, but you know what? It costs us about $800,000, $850,000 to launch a campus, you know? This year, for the very first time, we're gonna launch a Spanish-speaking campus. Did you realize that the Hispanic population in Wake County has increased 141% since the year 2000, it is now, makes up more than 10% of the Wake County population. Did you know, I'm at the Raleigh campus this weekend, if you're watching online, within shouting distance of, a, of the Raleigh campus, there's a neighborhood that is 63% Hispanic. It's the highest density of Hispanics in the triangle. How can we be a community church and not reach that demographic, not reach those people to make sure that every one of them has an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel? I promise you, for many of them, their needs are different than our needs, but we gotta get to know them and we gotta spend time with them so we know how God would move us to meet those needs. Something that God's laid on my heart this year, and I don't know where it came from, is school supplies, not just for kids, but for teachers. I think it's silly that we live in an area where a young person will go to school for four or five years, run up a lot of debt, get out and decide to teach to be a servant to us in our community and have to reach into their pocket and buy a stapler for their classroom or whatever they need for their classroom because the money's not there. I thought, what if we, maybe partnering with other churches, says, we're gonna address that need in our community. In fact, I met someone after the last service who gave me her card and she says, I'm the person you need to talk to. See, that's how God works at Hope Community Church. She said, I can tell you how many staplers you need. I can tell you how much construction paper you need. I can tell you how many yardsticks you need. And we could collect those things and get them to the teachers. And you know what, you think it would change their opinion of what the Church of Jesus Christ is all about in the community? See, God's put that on my heart this year. We're gonna address the opioid crisis. You have no idea the number of funerals we've had in the last 24 months, young people that have died because of opioid crisis. I don't think it's a coincidence that God has placed a lady in our church that's been involved in government and the government is giving her grants to figure out the impact that this is having on families in the triangle. And she came up to me after a service. She said, Pastor Mike, this is the church's problem. What are we gonna do about it? We're gonna figure out what we're gonna do about it. And I could go on and on and on. There are still people that are homeless. There are still people who don't have enough to eat. This is all a part of our 2019 vision. It's going to be a big year. But going back to our story of the donkeys, let me ask you a question. God really wants a campus in Garner. Can he just create one? I mean, he could. We want to drill wells in Haiti. 
We have an opportunity to do in Haiti what we did in the Central African Republic. One of the most significant things you can to change someone's quality of life is to give them fresh drinking water. And I told you before Christmas, we want to raise $70,000 to do that, to get Jim Hawking that, that, that well drilling rig. And, and a lady came forward and said, I'll, I'll give you a third of it and gave us a check for $23,000 and maybe God would lay it on your heart to do the rest. But there are people that don't have drinking water and hate surrounded by an ocean, no drinking water. I mean, why doesn't, if God wants them to have drinking water in Haiti, why doesn't God just give them drinking water in Haiti? Or why doesn't he just give everybody, you know, go out under a tree and there's free school supplies? He's God, he can do whatever he wants. You see, the fact that God comes to people that he created and he asked to borrow from us things that he gave us to start with to accomplish something that he wants to accomplish, I'm telling you, it's irrational. It makes no sense whatsoever. After all, he's God and he can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish whenever he wants to accomplish it, you know? I mean, Jesus, he could have made his way into Jerusalem on a, on a flying chariot of fire. That would have been impressive. You know, the wings of angels. Do you know what Jesus could have said? I now speak into existence a Black Hawk helicopter. How cool would that be? I can see the disciples hanging out the door. Jesus was one of those cool helmets on, you know. You think that would have got the crowd's attention coming in Jerusalem? He could have. You don't think he could do that? People, he spoke the universe into existence. He created a duck-billed platypus. He can create a Black Hawk helicopter. I'm telling you, there's no limit to the possibility. He is the creator of all things. But what does he do? He asked to borrow a big donkey and a little donkey. And I'm telling you, it makes no sense whatsoever that God needs anything to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, much less anything we have. But he asked. Second, the second thing that's irrational about generosity, Jesus rides in the town on the generosity of ordinary people. And I can tell you right now, that's the way he's gonna ride into the triangle. That's the way he's gonna ride into Raleigh and Cary and Apex and Durham and Chapel Hill and Garner and Fuquay, Verena and Southeast Raleigh. He's gonna show up, if he shows up, he's gonna show up on the generosity of people. Jesus was like, I don't, I don't need a Blackhawk. I don't need a Lamborghini. I just need somebody who's willing to give me a couple of donkeys. Go get the donkeys. And it's because, understand, God doesn't just appear in cities. He arrives in the cities on the generosity of others. And that's irrational. I love what it says in verse 10 of Matthew 21. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. I mean, think about it. The generosity of this guy who owned these donkeys and was willing to give his donkeys to Jesus, it sets off a tidal wave in the city. And as a result, it says the whole city was stirred. And I believe that that's what God wants to do. I think he wants to do the very same thing in the towns and the cities where we live. I think, I think he wants the entire triangle to be stirred. I believe he wants everybody talking at the water cooler, at the soccer field. Who is this God? Who is this God? Well, let me ask you a question. How's it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen through preaching and teaching? Yeah, that'll be a part of it. Is it gonna happen as we continue to partner with other churches in the community that lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ, getting us working together towards some common goals? That's gonna be a part of it. Is it gonna happen as we begin to live the lives that Jesus has called us to live as his followers? That's gonna be part of it. But I'm telling you, if it's gonna happen, it's going to happen through generosity. That's how Jesus is gonna enter into the triangle. And the fact that Jesus is choosing to ride into town on the backs of our generosity makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. 
The third thing that's irrational about generosity is generosity writes us into the story of God. By the way, just so you know, our greed writes us out of the story of God. Our generosity writes us into the story of God. I mean, here we have a guy who owned two donkeys and he's in the gospel story. That's his claim to fame. He owned two donkeys. That's it. There's a lady over in Mark chapter 12. She gave a mite, the widow who gave the mite. You know what a mite was worth? A third of a penny. We don't know anything about this lady. We don't know why she was so poor. We don't know how she lost her husband. We don't even know her name. But we know Jesus saw her put in what was equivalent to a third of a penny, and it so impressed Jesus, she got into the gospel story. There's a little boy over in John chapter 6 that had five loaves and two fish. We don't know much about him. Maybe he was a street orphan. Maybe he showed up with his mom and dad. Maybe he, maybe he showed up with a single parent. But for some reason, he had a little bit of food with him that day. We don't even know his name. He's in the story. Most of us have heard of Joseph of Arimathea, you know. And we've heard him because, you know, he gave Jesus a tomb, you know, when Jesus needed a tomb, right? And he's written into the gospel story. He didn't need to be written into the story. I mean, the story about the tomb, that's all about the resurrection. That's all about Easter. See, I mean, that's the most incredible thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. A person died and three days later came back to life. That stands on its own. But there's a dude there named Joseph of Arimathea in the story. Why is he in the story? It's because God chooses to invite the people he loves into his constantly unfolding epic story. And you don't get written in because you're important. You don't get written in because you did something awesome. There are all kinds of people that were written into the story simply because of their generosity. Look back at Matthew chapter 21, verse five. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Just so you know, that's from Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. That was written by Zechariah in about 500 BC. You know what that means? That means that in 500 BC, God had this thought. This is what I'm gonna be doing in 500 years in Jerusalem on that day. And sure enough, 500 years later, one man's generosity fulfilled God's destiny for the city. And I wonder what God has promised to the triangle that as a church we're going to be a part of fulfilling. I wonder what maybe four, 500, 700 years ago, God has promised to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where our agape campus is, that we're gonna be a part of fulfilling. I wonder what God has promised to Fuquay, to Garner, to Southeast Raleigh, that we're gonna be a part of fulfilling. But if it's going to happen, it's gonna happen because of our generosity. And because of our generosity, guess what? We become a part of the story. And I'm not sure how it works, but I'm telling you somehow our generosity today weaves us into the story of God in the days to come. And I'll just tell you, most of the time we won't even get to see in this lifetime how God uses our generosity. We won't even be aware of it until we get to heaven, but I'm telling you, every single time we decide that we're gonna break the grip of greed in our life and that we're going to be generous to the story of God, God writes us into his story. Jesus talked about this, Luke 16, nine. Look what he said, I tell you, use worldly wealth. That's our wealth, temporary wealth. We only have it in this life. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, 
you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now understand, Jesus isn't saying that you can somehow buy or bribe your way into heaven with your stuff, with your wealth. He's saying this, God sees all of our wealth, our stocks, our salaries, our 401ks, he he sees all of it as a tool. And Jesus is saying, you need to figure out how you can use your temporary wealth in such a way that when this life is over, when you die, and you walk into heaven, there will be people in heaven to welcome you there because of how you used your wealth while you were alive on earth. In other words, when you walk into heaven, there will be people there who will say, you don't know me, but my life was changed because of your generosity. I was a pygmy in the rainforest in the Central African Republic, and you gave some money. And some guy showed up and drilled a well in our village, it changed our lives. My kids lived because they had pure drinking water. But not only that, a man came in and shared the gospel of how Jesus died for my sins. And I'm in heaven today because of you. Thank you. That's powerful stuff. Amen. Or some kid walking up to you, you don't know me. But I grew up in Wake County and we were dirt poor. I had a single mom, and it was embarrassing because every year when school started, I had, I had, I had, I had clothes that, that were worn out, and I, I didn't have school supplies, but you gave. And I was able to go to school with school supplies, and I found out it was your church. And I visited your church. And I met some kids there, and they took me to a camp somewhere, and a guy got up and explained how Jesus came to die for my sins so I could be reconciled back to God, so I could go to heaven when I die. And I just want to say thank you because I'm here because of your generosity. That's what Jesus is teaching in Luke 16. He's saying on this earth, when we teach, treat our wealth that way, it's got eternal ramifications. And that's irrational. See, we think it's all about how we spend it, how we invest it here. God's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the big picture. Here's the fourth thing that's irrational about generosity. We always get back what we give. I mean, think about this. The guy who gave the donkeys got the donkeys back. They didn't crucify the donkeys. They only crucified Jesus, right? By the way, I, I, it's interesting. They, it says they made their way from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. I have a picture standing on the Mount of Olives looking down through the Kidron Valley. That's the eastern gate that's sealed. It will be opened again when Jesus returns. But if, in Jesus' day, he would have walked through that eastern gate and he would have been right at the Temple Mount. It's about a 30-minute walk. So this is how I think it went down. I think the guy showed up and said, hey, can we borrow a big donkey and a little donkey? The guy, sure, I'll go with you. You know, I'm not just gonna let my donkeys out of sight, right? So he goes and he meets Jesus and, oh, what's going on? And so now he's walking down to Jerusalem with him. And Jesus finally, you know, comes riding in a big donkey and all this hoopla going on. And finally Jesus gets to his destination. He says, thank you very much. The guy gets his donkeys and he takes them back home. And he gets home and he walks in the house. He says, baby, you ain't gonna believe what happened today. It was crazy. Jesus... Jesus, remember Jesus? Remember the day we were on the hillside and he fed thousands of us? That Jesus, that same Jesus. The one that's been going around healing people? Remember our friend who couldn't walk Jesus? Jesus, that same Jesus, he rode big donkey and little donkey into Jerusalem. And people lined the street with palm branches and they laid their coats down on the ground and they were singing Hosanna. It was absolute pandemonium. And I'm not sure what was going on, but I'm telling you, honey, big donkey and little donkey, they were in it up to their Donkey today, we'll go, we'll just stick with donkey today. But my point is this, the man got the donkeys back. And in the same way, you're gonna get back whatever you give in God's story. 
So don't think of it in terms of I'm giving away something. You're actually opening a door by which you're going to get back more than you gave. You're not giving $25, $50 to help a kid with school supplies or to drill a well in Haiti or, or to help us launch a campus in Garner. You loan God what he gave you to start with to accomplish what he could have accomplished without you just so that you could be in his story. And when you get to heaven, it's gonna be that $100, $50. It's gonna be like $100 million. That makes no sense to us whatsoever. But I didn't say that. God said that. Paul talked about this, the parable of sowing and reaping, or, or, the, story, or, or the principle of sowing and reaping in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For example, back in biblical times, wheat had a 30-fold return. If you, if, you planted, if you planted, say, 10 bushels of wheat, you were gonna harvest 300 bushels of wheat. And God says, the same principle applies. If you give generously, you are gonna be blessed bountifully. And some of us are like, well, Mike, uh, I'm, you know, I'm an accountant. Explain to me exactly how that works. God, you know. Psalm 89 verse 11 said, the heavens are yours. Yours are also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. It's all God's. And God's like, are you kidding me? I got stacks of cash. I got stacks of resources. I got stacks of wealth. I've got stacks of whatever you need to accomplish whatever it is that I need you to accomplish. Think of it this way. I ask the team to make this graph. It's like on one side, we've got God's resources. And on the other side of the bridge, we got all the needs, the people in the world, all the needs, all the things that we wanna do. God's just looking for a few people that he can trust to give the resources and take it off the bridge, over the bridge, and meet the needs. At the end of the day, that's all it is. And if you really believe that God owns it all and that he's your source and provider, I'm, I'm telling you right now, planned generosity is a no-brainer. I mean, it is a built-in way to make sure when it comes to your finances and your stuff, it's not all about you. That's why God gave us the principle of tithing, very, very simple. I've showed you this before. God says, every time I give you 10 of these, give me, give me one back. You get to keep the nine, which I gave you two, and live off of them. Let me do that one more time, just in case you went to Carolina and took some of those phony classes. Okay, let me just say that, okay. So it works. God says, every time you get 10 of these, you give me one. You just drop a zero. It's very easy math. You give me one of these, and you get to keep the other nine, which I gave you anyway, and go out and buy yourself a little something, something, right? However, let me say this. If you believe that what you have is yours and that God had nothing to do with it and you're just a self-made person, you'll be greedy. You'll hang on to your stuff for dear life. Now, if you're here and you're like, Mike, I'm there. I mean, I'm, I believe God gave me a heart of generosity. Well, you know, a few years ago, I used to do this thing where I would invite the top 40 or 50 givers to my house for a Christmas party to just say thank you, thank you. Because most of our income was given by that group of people. And I just wanted to say thank you. And they were fine. They, it was no big deal. And, and, you know, we had a little Christmas party. But one of the guys came up and he says, Mike, he says, I'm not sure you got this right. And I said, why? He says, because a lot of us, and I'm, I'm not a big money guy, but these guys are. A lot of us, we give. But it's not a big sacrifice. We have a lot of money. He said, my guess is the people that make Hope Community Church go are the people that are sacrificing much more than we are. 
and giving that way. And I said, you're right. I thought you're right. So I shut that party down. We stopped having that party. However, I thought, how do I identify those people so that I can say, because here's what, there's always stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't budget, that sometimes when people hear about, like when the lady heard about the truck for Jim Hawking, she just said, hey, that touched my heart. I'll give you $23,000. Outside of our budget, things that God's doing, how do you find out about them? I thought, fine, I'll let you self-select yourself. And so I have an email. If you, if you feel like that, that you have that, 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 that's too late for that. If you want to give, you give that. Let me show you the next one. Email, you guys wake up back there. Hey, look what it says. If you feel like you have the gift of generosity, email me at giving at gethope.net. I don't care if you give $10 a month, $100 a month. I don't care if you give $100,000. But if you feel like, man, this is, when I see a need, there's something that makes me want to respond. You email me, and we're going to have a breakfast in the next few weeks. And we're just going to get together. We're probably going to get together two or three times this year. And maybe, maybe at my house at Christmas. But we're going to talk about these are opportunities that God is putting in front of us. Just not, not just in the triangle. Some of that may interest you. Some of you may hear of a global opportunity and you say, oh, that, that spikes my interest. But I want to get in a room and I want us to dream together about what God could do if we begin to see our stuff and his stuff. Now, let me just say one more thing and I'm going to let you go. The story really isn't about two donkeys and a man's generosity, okay? This story is about who was riding on the docking and God's generation to us. You see, God gave us his perfect son. He made his way into Jerusalem on that Sunday, on that Sunday, on the back of these two donkeys. And the crowds did line the street and they did wave palm branches and they did lay down their cloaks and they shouted Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? It means save us now. So picture this, Jesus is riding into town pandemonium, the people are shouting, save us now, save us now, save us now. And you know what I think Jesus was thinking? On Sunday, I think he was thinking, that's exactly what I'm gonna do on Friday. Because I'm gonna lay down my life for you. So forget about the donkeys. And just think about the son of God who was willing to be slain for us. And I don't know if you're willing or ready to be a person of generosity. Lots of times that's a journey that people have to go on. But let me tell you this. You may not be willing to, ready to be a person of generosity, but God is. And I know that if you have any need in your life this weekend, he will freely give you what you need in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe finally this is the week, maybe this is it, that you are finally ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're finally ready to accept the gift of salvation that he provided on the cross. You're finally ready to have your sins forgiven. And you're finally ready of having the confidence and security that when you die, you will go to heaven. What a year this would be for you. What a great start. Let's bow. Father, thank you for your generosity. Even when we don't want to be generous, you're generous to us. You put breath in our lungs. You give us a heart that beats over 100,000 times a day. You supply our needs. And yet many times we're like, yeah, I'm not ready to be generous in return. That's okay. It's a journey. It's a journey. But when we get there, we begin to experience the life that you created us for. And Father, you give us all things. Everything we have comes from you. 
But sometimes we abuse it and we lose that joy. We enter into that death-like existence. Help us to understand that we can break that with our generosity. It loosens up our grips. And Father, I'm excited to see what you're going to do in the lives of the people here who maybe want to connect and start giving and being involved. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do in the life of those who are ready to respond to your generosity. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.